Turn with me, if you would, to Galatians chapter 5. Lord willing, we'll be looking at uh, three verses here today. We uh, looked down through verse 12 last week. Today, uh, we want to look through verses 13, 14, and 15. I'm going to uh, back up and start reading in verse 1 just so that we can get our minds around the the context here because what we're going to see here in verse uh, 13... Uh, draws back to what Paul begins saying in verse 1 of chapter 5. Actually, it's drawn out through all this letter, but uh, particularly we want to see what he's speaking about here in verse 1. He says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now let me pause just there and remind you, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty. Liberty from what? What is it that Paul is speaking of that they have liberty from? Well, this whole entire, this whole entire letter has been written to them to remind them that the gospel is a gospel or good news that we are no longer under the curse of the law, underneath the power of the law or the, the condemnation of the law, that we are no longer under the law to keep for works of righteousness or anything like that, that never was intended to to be the use of the law uh, to make us righteous. And that these Judaizers that have been coming in saying, for you to be saved, and ultimately what some people call sanctification, I have a, a, a different understanding of sanctification than what I see most people uh, write about. But what, they, what he says about them becoming saved and continuing in salvation um, is by the law of Moses, by circumcision and by the law of Moses. And Paul here is writing that just the opposite is true. The fact that we cannot keep the law is evident and that by the law no man was ever intended to be justified anyway. That was never the purpose of the law. And so the gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ has fulfilled By his substitution, he has fulfilled everything that God's justice required for us. Okay? We were born and we were conceived and born into sin from our mother's womb. We are sinners by nature as we are children of Adam. The flesh cannot do anything to please God. And so we have an inability. We have uh, uh, a... no way of performing that which God requires in holiness and in righteousness, okay? And so Paul is saying that if you're listening to these Judaizers, if you're listening to men who are preaching that you have to follow conditions and law for salvation or to maintain and keep your salvation, you're going in the wrong direction. You're going and walking in the flesh. You're not walking in the Spirit. To walk in the Spirit is to look upon Christ, to trust in Christ, to have faith upon Christ alone as your righteousness, as Abraham did. Okay? Now, so that's what liberty Paul is talking about. 
He says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty or in the freedom from the law that Christ has given you. And it's Christ who gave it to us, right? Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. By the work of Christ and his substitutionary death and his resurrection and his, I would say, his life as well. <coughs> the whole work of Christ in him coming for us has made us free. That's what has made us free. Your law-keeping didn't make you free. Okay? Your good intentions didn't make you free. Your mama and your daddy being a Christian didn't make you free. Okay? You being a Jew or a Gentile, that doesn't make one or uh, uh, free or not free. What makes us free? The fact that Christ died for us. That has made us free from the law, from the condemnation of the law, from us having to perform some sort of a, uh, something before God for righteousness, okay? Christ has performed it for us. And brethren, I know that we've talked about this and I keep saying these things over and over and over and over again. And I hope that th this is food for you. I hope that you, that you find this, uh, to be edifying. And not just, man, I wish the guy would get off, you know, the same subject. But, brethren, that's the very heart of the gospel. The very heart of the gospel is that justification before God, our righteousness before God, doesn't come by anything that we do. It came by what Christ done. And for the child of grace who has been given that spiritual mind, that becomes a comforting thing. We rest in that. We cease from our labors of trying to enter into righteousness or performing righteousness before God by doing all these things that the law says to do. And we realize that we can't keep that, and so we trust that Christ says. That doesn't mean that our desires in our mind, that we want to do good and we want to be right before God as far as keeping the things that God said, but that, you know, we, and we're going to talk about this today. What What is the commands of God that we're to be keeping? And so we stand fast in the liberty. So he says, stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and be not entangled again with that yoke of bondage or the law. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. So keeping that law ain't going to make, any, make you any better with God. It's not going to profit you. Okay? It says, for I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. It doesn't mean they lost their salvation. It means that they have fallen away from the doctrine of grace. They've, they've moved away from the gospel to works. It says, For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Now pay close attention to that phrase because we're going to find those, those things in our passages today. The only thing, what does he say? For in Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision availeth anything. But what is it that availeth? What does that word availeth mean? Does anybody know what that word means? Availeth? We can substitute that word profit, okay? That word profit, does anything profit you? Okay, but that word availeth uh, there, 
what 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 is it that is that is worthy of something? What is it that we should be looking at? What is it that is the center of attention? And and and, and it's not the keeping of the law, whether you're keeping the law or not keeping the law. What is it that we are looking for? Faith which worketh by love. Okay? Now keep that in your mind because you're going to see it said another way here in just a minute. Verse 7, he said, Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? Okay? Remember that phrase. We've talked about that many times already before. Okay? What is obeying the truth? Galatians 2.14. Remember, we've seen that. Uh, we talked a little bit about that last week. But uh, Galatians 2.14. But whenever I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel. What is walking according to the truth of the gospel? Walking in the Spirit. What is this uh, obeying the truth? What is that talking about? We're going to see today. This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded. But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would they were even cut off which trouble you. Now that's what we dealt with up to there last week. And today we go forward. It says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. See, Christ has called us into this freedom. He's not calling us into the yoke of bondage. He is calling us into liberty. The call of God is not to come and work, but come and rest. Come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you more to do. Is that what he said? No. He said, come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, who have, tried, who have been trying to perform a righteousness before God, a satisfaction before God by your works, and finding that you can't do it. Come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you, what did he say? Rest. I will give you rest, right? For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Now that's kind of what we just seen up here a while ago whenever it said, the only thing that availeth is faith which worketh by love, right? By love serve one another. Love worketh. Working of love. How it, what is working of love? Well, we're going to talk about that a little bit today. But he says, But by love serve one another, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. Let's bow and ask the Lord to... Uh, to bless the preaching today. Father, Lord, we do come to you this morning and we thank you so much for all that you are. We thank you for your sovereign uh, tea over all things. We thank you for your uh, graciousness to us. We thank you, Father, for uh, your mercy and your kindness that you have shown us. We exalt you, Father, this morning because you are the creator of all things and by whom all things consist. We are grateful for all that you have done not only in the natural, but also in the spiritual. Father, we just look to you today, and we give you praise and honor and glory. 
for all that who you are. And so, Father, we just ask now, because of who you are, because of your sovereignty and your graciousness and your mercy, that you uh, delight in giving mercy to your children and grace to your children. Father, we ask that even now that you might help us in this worship time, that you might reveal to us your word, that you might give us light and understanding of these things, that you might help me to preach, Father, that I might not speak error, but I might speak truth, that I might not say things of my own thoughts and my own uh, 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 traditions and, 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 and presuppositions, but Father, that I might take the Word of God and, and explain the Word of God as you intend it to be understood. And I pray that those that are here, Lord, that you give them ears to hear, that you might give them eyes to see, and that they might have a heart that receives the things of the Spirit of God because you have opened up their understanding of these things, that you have opened up their heart and prepared them for this very word, Lord. And I just ask that you just might be glorified and exalted in all that we do and say today. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So it says here, brethren, we have been called unto liberty. Use not that liberty, though, for an occasion for the flesh, but by love serve one another. Now, I'm not going to dwell a whole lot on this because there's other things that I really would like to speak about uh, this morning, and at least that I've been led to, to, to dwell upon this morning. But one thing I wanted to say, even though we have liberty in the Lord Jesus Christ and we're not under the law, the Bible here admonishes us to not use that liberty in such a way that it would give occasion for the flesh. Okay? So basically what I'm saying is, is because we're not under the law, I'm not telling you to just go out and live however you want to live. Okay? And I know that whenever men like me preach and teach what we are teaching here today and what we've been teaching over the course of the last few months about not being under the law, but being under grace, and that the law, you know, that we do not need the law anymore for uh, anything that has to do with righteousness. Of course, it never was for righteousness, but that the law has has been uh, uh, abolished for us in the fact that Jesus has fulfilled everything on our behalf and that we no longer are under that law. <clears throat> Men always want to gravitate to the argument, well, then you're just going to live lawless. If you're, if you're not under the law, then you're just going to live a sinful life and sin as much as you want to sin. That is not what I'm saying, and that's not what I'm encouraging. And matter of fact, that's not what the Bible even teaches. The Bible, matter of fact, the Bible teaches that as we begin to trust and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, that that right there in and of, us, of itself constrains us. The love of God constrains us. And it keeps us from being lawless. It keeps us from going out and trying to live uh, uh, just a debaucherous lifestyle. Okay? But here's the thing. <clears throat> if we have been given liberty, we need to be very careful with Brother Ed. Coming in. Good morning, brother. Good morning. Good to see you. Come on in and have a seat wherever you want. There you go. Take that chair right there. 
Good to see you. We've missed you. Yep. Yeah. Glad you finally got some mode of transportation again. Yeah. <laughs> it's good to see you, brother. We're in Galatians chapter 5 is where we're at. Uh, Galatians chapter 5 verse 13 is where we're at right now. So as I was saying, <clears throat> the mentality of a lot of people is, is that if you preach that we're not under the law, then we can just live any way we want. That is not that is not anywhere in what we're saying. Now, with that being said, we need to be careful that with our liberty that we do not offend those who have yet to be brought into the light of this understanding. See, there are some Christians who are still uh, young in the faith who the Lord has not brought them to this full understanding of some of these things. And I don't, I don't claim to have the full understanding of these things, but a more mature understanding of these things, I guess I should say, that some of these brethren might have uh, uh, an occasion to be offended because of our liberty that we have in Christ Jesus. Matter of fact, remember uh, Paul was talking about how uh, that uh, some of those... Uh, Judaizers had come down to spy upon them and, and the liberty that they had uh, and everything. But what do they do? They, you know, Paul said, you know, if offending my brother is eating meat, well, I'm not going to eat meat in front of my brother. He didn't say that eating meat was bad. He just said, if that offends my brother, then I'm not going to do that in front of my brother. Okay? So if there's something that might offend your brother or sister in Christ, we want to be careful and not offend them. Now, with that being said, I think that we ought to take opportunity to, with meekness and long-suffering, teach them rightly the Word of God. And to help them in that, well, I say help them, but pray that the Lord, as the Bible says, pray that the Lord would give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Okay? That eventually that the Lord will bring them into this light of freedom and that they are not under the law. But, brother, until the Lord gives them that uh, understanding and that revealing, we got to be careful not to be an offense to them uh, in our liberty. Now, like I said, that wasn't the main thing that I wanted to talk about today. That will be for a, another uh, sermon at another time. I mainly wanted to get to what is the gist of these verses in ver uh, chapter 5, <clears throat> And especially as we move on to verse 14. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Um, what is this walking in the Spirit? What is this obeying the truth? What is this fulfilling the law in one word? Uh, keeping the commands of Christ, right? This is kind of what we want to know about. Well, turn with me, if you would, back to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, and look with me at chapter 13 and verse 34. The Gospel of John, not the Epistle of John, but the Gospel of John. We will be going to the Epistles of John here in just a few minutes. But John chapter 13, and look with you, if you would, down to verse 34. Jesus said this before he uh, uh, before he left uh, to go back to the Father. He says, "A new commandment I give you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love 
one another. By this all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Okay, so Christ give a new command. Okay, there's a new command. Whenever we speak about the commands in the New Testament, we're not talking about the Old Testament law. That was fulfilled in Christ, and Christ put that away. There's no, we're not no longer under that law. But we are under the law of Christ now. And Christ has given us a few laws in the New Testament that we are to abide, abide by. Number one in the commission, he has given us the command to make disciples, to baptize those disciples, and to teach those disciples all things whatsoever he has commanded. He has given us the command to keep the two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, right? Okay? So there are some commands that the Lord has given us to, to, to keep. But in regards to what we're talking about here specifically, the Lord is talking about the command to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. On these two things hang all the law and the prophets. Okay? So Christ is saying the commands that I give to you is a new command. Okay? It's a new command. Now if you'll remember, the writers of the New Testament often spoke about when Jesus first came and called the disciples out, they used that as from the beginning. Not meaning the beginning of creation or the beginning of time, but from the beginning when Jesus' ministry came and he began to walk and to, and to gather his disciples and to preach his doctrine. That is often uh, talked about as being the beginning. Okay, Now, keep that in mind that Jesus has given us a new command. He did this whenever he was, before he was crucified, before he died, before he was resurrected. Okay? Matter of fact, this was right before uh, uh, he was arrested uh, and uh, after Judas had betrayed him. So, uh, keep that in mind as we turn back to 1 John, the epistle of John. And look with me at chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, and we want to look at verse 22, it says, And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commands, commandments, and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment. Okay? You hear people all the time, you know, this is this is how we know that we love God, that we keep his commands, right? We're going to be reading those verses here in a minute. But we keep his commands. Well, he's fixing to tell us what is his commandment. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. As he gave us commandment. So that means that he has already given us commandment. Who gave the commandment? Jesus gave the commandment, right? Okay, and so now let's keep all this in context. Okay, because a lot of people are going to come to you whenever you preach and teach that you're no longer under law but under grace. You're going to come and say, well, what about this verse? Well, what about this verse? Well, what about this verse? What about this one? It says right here that if we love him, we'll keep his commands. 
Verse 24, And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by his Spirit which he hath given us. There, there you go. we got to keep his commandments. We're still under the law. we got to keep his commandments. Well, brethren, we got to keep in context what the new commandment is. There's a new commandment that's been given to the children of grace because of what Christ has done for us. That new commandment is not keep the law for righteousness because that cannot be done. The new commandment is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that he has kept the law for you. That's the new commandment. And to love the brethren. We're going to talk about what that means also because that also involves doctrine. Correct doctrine. He says, and this is the commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. It doesn't say believe in Jesus Christ. Okay, there are a lot of people that believe that Jesus existed, that he was a historical person, but they don't believe on Jesus Christ. Okay, there are many people that believe Jesus died, and that he was buried, and that he was resurrected. Even Paul talks about the gospel. He said, you know, here's the gospel I've delivered on you, that Christ uh, died that he was buried and that he was resurrected, but there was that little phrase after that. Anybody remember what that phrase was? That how Jesus died according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he was resurrected according to the scriptures. See, if we don't preach the death, burial, and resurrection according to the scriptures, see, it's not just about dying and being buried and being resurrected. It's what was that death for? Who was that death for? What did that death accomplish? And in that resurrection, what did that mean for all those for whom Christ died? See, we see that the Bible overwhelmingly teaches that Christ's death is, and we sang it in one of our hymns this morning, that Christ's death was efficacious. That means it had an effect. It actually did something. Christ dying actually caused God's wrath to be not upon us any. Okay? Christ's substitution for us caused God to be able to forgive us of all of our sin. Christ's death brought it where we no longer have an account of sin against God, that he no longer sees that, but that full, holy righteousness is placed to our account. Okay? <clears throat> whenever we see these things, whenever we look at these things, all these things that 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 is talked about in Scripture, that's what his death was about. His death wasn't about that Jesus loves everybody and has died for everybody. Okay, that's not the gospel. That's not what the Bible teaches. Whenever Paul said how he died according to the Scripture, there was a certain reason, there was a certain group of people, there was a certain outcome that happens because of that death. And that resurrection showed forth that God was righteous, God was holy, that God is just, and that God accepted everything that Christ did on behalf of those people for whom he did it. Okay? Now, Jesus dying for everybody and some going to hell, that is not the gospel, that is not what is taught in God's word. Because as we read this morning, God cannot extract justice twice. Okay? He cannot charge you with your sin after Christ has already paid for that sin. He would be unjust to do so. 
For God to send anybody to hell for whom Christ died would be unjust because Christ died for that pe- people. That would be not only um, uh, 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 contempt for his son, but it would also say that Jesus Christ's death didn't have any meaning at all. That had nothing to do with it. And if that's the case, then that means that we're saved by our works. We were saved by our choosing God, our believing our repentance, or coming to church, or whatever you want to put it, that's that's what it is. And so we see that the command is not just to believe in Jesus, or believe on, or that Jesus did what he did, but it's to believe on the name of his son Jesus. What does that mean? We've talked about that here before. What does... Whenever we speak of the name of Jesus, that at the name of Jesus, is it just because someone says Jesus that every knee's going to bow? What does what does the the term or that phrase in the name mean? Well, that word name throughout Scripture uh, has to do with position for one. Okay, it has position for one. Christ, uh, who is at the right hand of God, okay, and he is the one who is the image of the invisible God. He is the one that all of the Godhead dwells in him, and so the one true God is in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is the manifestation of God, okay, and so at the name of Jesus, Jesus is representing all that who God is. He is God, okay? But the word name means authority. He comes, and I've used this illustration to you before. If you're out here and you go and you rob a bank and you start to run and the police come and they say, stop in the name of the law, what does that mean? Stop under the authority of I'm the law and you need to stop and do what I say. Otherwise, there are going to be repercussions, right? The name of Jesus is, has to do with his authority. He has authority. The Bible says he's been given authority over all flesh. He's been given power over all flesh. Those name, That word name means authority. It means power. He has been given authority over all mankind because he is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. The Bible says that he is the only potentate. He is the only sovereign. Okay, But also he has been given power over all flesh. So it says here that we are to believe upon the name of his son, his authority and his power. What has he done? By his authority he has done what? He has taken away our sins. He has forgiven our sins. By his authority he has given us his righteousness. By his authority he has removed all of our guilt, all of our sin. By his authority, he is substituted on our behalf. <clears throat> and by his power, he sustains us. He's given us life. He sustains us. He's given us faith. All these things are done by his power. He is all-powerful. So whenever it says here that we should believe on the name of his son, it isn't just believe that he existed or believe that he did certain things but it is to put our trust in his power and authority that what he said he has done for us is enough. 
Why? Because it's it's under his authority. If Jesus said that me dying for you causes you to be free from the law and that that righteousness is put to your account and that God will no more remember your sins and that I will bring you unto myself, then based upon his name, his authority and his power, and remember he is God and he cannot lie, that under that authority and power that he can do that. Not only does he have the right to do that, but he has the power to keep us and to make sure that it happens. The Bible says that his people will be made willing in the day of his power. He's the one that causes us to understand spiritual things, to believe upon him, to receive him into our heart, to receive the gospel for ourselves, to continue to keep us in the faith. This is all by the power of Christ. And so we trust in Christ that what he said, he will do. What he did was enough. Is he sufficient for us? Is him and his work sufficient or is it not? If it's not sufficient, then we just need to go home. Because we're most men most miserable. Because what's going to happen? If Christ isn't sufficient, then that leaves something for us to do. And we have been overwhelmed by Scripture over the last several months that tells us that there is nothing that we can do to gain righteousness before God. So if Christ's righteousness wasn't enough, our righteousness surely isn't going to be enough. But what this is saying is that we are to believe upon His name, believe upon who He is, believe that everything that He did is all that is required and needed and sufficient for our salvation. From start to finish, from eternity to eternity, not just, not just the moment that we believe, but in everything. <clears throat> That's what believing in his name means. And it says, and this is the commandment that we should believe on the name of the Son of the Son, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and love one another. While you're there, look back to John chapter one John chapter two. <laughs> So we're to love God. Christ is God. We're to love God. We're to believe upon His name. Look at 1 John chapter 2, and starting in verse 1, it says, My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Okay? He's the righteous, not you, but He. He's the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. What does the propitiation for our sins mean? That word propitiation, that's a big theological word, right? That word propitiation basically means a turning away of. He is a propitiation for our sins. What does our sins deserve? The wrath of God, death, right? The wages of sin is death. Okay? By no means will God acquit the guilty. He's going to bring judgment upon them. He's going to judge them. He is going to pour out his wrath upon them. 
But if Jesus has substituted for them, all of that wrath that was to be put upon us, if we were not the elect of God, was put upon Christ. Okay? So that means that he has, he has taken God's wrath, therefore we are not appointed under wrath. Why? Because we're in Christ Jesus. And in Christ Jesus there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We use the term eternal vital union. We have an eternal vital union with Christ before the foundation of the world. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that we were in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. And because of that eternal vital union with Christ, God, before we were even created in Adam, God had already declared there will be no condemnation upon these people. This is my seed. They will be in Christ Jesus. I will view them in Christ Jesus. They will not have sins imputed unto them. Will they sin? Absolutely. We all sin, right? We just read it. We all sin, Mm -hmm. right? And if we say we don't, we make God out to be a liar. We are all sinners. We actually do sin. But God was in Christ reconciling the world of his people, okay? Not imputing their sins to them. He's reconciling us back to him. We have sinned. We have gone away. The Bible says that we by nature were children of wrath against God. That we were the ones who went away, despised him, were at enmity with him, did not die. He's loved us with an everlasting love. But we were the ones who had went astray in Adam. And God was reconciling his people from all the four corners of the world, bringing them back to himself. And he was doing it, and the Bible says he is not imputing our sin. All those sins that we've been committing all this time, he's been he's not been imputing those to us. They've never been imputed to us. Why? Because blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not sin. We were blessed in Christ Jesus with all spiritual blessing. Ephesians chapter 1. Okay? So he is the propitiation. So the wrath of God that would have come upon us had we not been in Christ Jesus fell upon Christ. So there was a turning away of wrath from us to Christ because Christ was our substitute. He propitiated that. That word propitiation also has to do with the mercy seat of God. If you remember the Ark of the Covenant, whenever it was built... Upon top of that, there was a thick bar of gold that laid upon as a lid upon that ark. And it was there that the sacrifices of blood was put. And that bar of gold was called, it was called the mercy seat. And it was here that God received that blood for those people. And that was a picture of Christ. Christ was shielding us from God's wrath. By his own perfect obedience. See, the gold was pure gold. It wasn't partial gold. It was pure gold. And whenever we speak of gold, we speak of purity. We speak of uh, without any kind of dross. You know? All the dross has been removed and it's pure gold. Well, there was a, a lid of pure gold and that represented Christ. And that blood was the representation of his blood on our behalf. And his perfect righteousness is what God 
viewed in our place. It was His blood that was the forgiveness of our sin. Okay? So that is what propitiation is. Propitiation is turning away all of that wrath and anger of God so that we might receive everything else from God. Okay? And He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only. Now, whoa, wait a minute. But for the sins of the whole world, does that mean that He died for everybody? Is that what that's saying, preacher? No. Remember who John has been writing to. Remember who John is. John is a Jew. And he was writing primarily to Jews. And so John here is saying, hey, the mentality of us Jews has always been that we are the chosen people alone because of our Jewishness, because of our being the children in the flesh of Abraham. That was not what was meant all those years in the Old Testament that we were teaching the Old Testament. That was not what that was meaning. Those were types and foreshadows, pictures of what was to come in the spiritual the spiritual Israel is of every tribe, language, nation, and tongue. All the people, Jew and Gentile alike, have been brought into one and made one people. And that one people being brought together, Jew and Gentile, make up the Israel of God. <clears throat> and so when John says this, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world... He means that it's not just for Jews, but for also the Gentiles. He died for the Gentiles as well. And hereby do we know that we know him if we what? Keep his commands. Well, here again, what's the context? Okay, what's the context of those commands? That we believe upon the name of the Son of or the Son, Jesus Christ, and love the brethren. That's the commands that is in context here, brother. He saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whosoever keepeth his word, or command, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him, ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. How did Christ walk? Remember how Christ walked? What did Christ say? He said that whatever the Father tells me to do, I do it. I trust in Him. Whatever He says, I do. The Father has told me to do this, and what have I done? I've done it. Okay? Now, He's telling us to walk as He walked. Christ walked in faith that God would keep the covenant that was made in the everlasting wherever, before time began, when Christ stood as our surety and was brought forth as our, as our lamb, as he was brought forth as our substitute, our advocate, as Christ came forth before God in the new covenant or the everlasting covenant, the mediator, the only mediator between God and man, is the man, Jesus Christ, right? And whenever he was brought forth in the counsel of God to be that mediator and to make covenant, what was that to be? He made covenant to whatever God says, I will do. And upon the completion of my righteousness, 
God will accept these people on my behalf. That's the everlasting covenant. That by not blood of bulls and goats, not by law keeping, not by any inherent thing that we do that's good, but by the work of Jesus Christ, by his shed blood. That's why in, in, uh, in Isaiah, the Bible talks about, by my righteous servant, Jesus served Christ, or served God by doing what? By being obedient to what God had told him to do. Now we're to be obedient in what Christ has told us to do. And what has Christ told us to do? To believe on him and to love the brethren. That's what Christ had told us to do. <clears throat> and we know, oh, excuse me, but whosoever keepeth his word in him is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought also to walk even as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment. Now, let me just back up there because I want to make something clear here. If you want to take that to say, no, that's not meaning that, preacher, it's saying that we have to keep the law of God. You have so many verses that we've already covered in Scripture that has already told us that we cannot keep the law of God. This says, this says that we are to walk even as He walked. If you're going to take that to mean complete obedience to the law, Jesus did that perfectly. If we are to walk as He walked, we have to do it perfectly. And the Bible even tells us that. You who desire to be under the law, do you not hear what the law says? The law says that you've got to keep me perfectly. So even if this did mean all the other commandments that has been in the Old Testament, we cannot walk as Jesus walked. But what can we do? Well, by the grace of the Holy Spirit in us, with the faith that has been divinely given to us, not a faith that came from the old man, not a faith that comes out of our nature or flesh, but a faith that comes from above, that is given to us, that is worked in us by the Holy Spirit, that faith can look to Christ. And that faith can also look to our brothers and sisters and serve them in love. Okay? Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had from the beginning. Now, see what he's saying here? <clears throat> That's why I brought up what I said earlier about a lot of times the understanding was from the beginning. Remember we said, um, was it John also who wrote uh, that uh, whenever talking about Christ that we had seen and heard him, that who, that who was from the beginning? Okay? That can mean from the beginning of time, yes. Christ definitely was before the beginning of time. But John's saying our experience as the disciples who are now taking everything that he taught us and teaching you that from the beginning of the time that Jesus began to teach us, this is what Jesus has been saying. Paul was saying to the Galatians, remember, everything that I'm telling you is not new, it's everything that Jesus had been telling the disciples and me now that I'm one who is born 
out of due time or out of abnormally out of time, meaning that he became an apostle later than the other ones. But it's the same gospel. The same gospel that was preached to those disciples was preached to me as now I'm being preached to you. Jonah saying this is the same command that Jesus has been preaching ever since he has been here is that believe upon me. Believe upon me. Look upon me. Now, lest we think that that's not correct and that I am twisting scriptures, let's look at John chapter 6. The Gospel of John, chapter 6. John, chapter 6. And look with me, if you would. And I'm going to start reading that. uh, uh, I'm going to start reading at verse uh, 26. It said, Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. I wrote about that this morning. Um, a lot of times we seek God and we praise and give glory to God for the benefits we get from Him and not for who He is. We ought to be giving praise and glory to God uh, because of who He is primarily and then the benefits you know, that's later. But see, what was these people? They were following Jesus because they were getting fed. Okay, they weren't following Jesus for who he was. They were following for, for what he got from them, right? From him. But he says, verse 27, Labor not for the meat which perish, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath, the, hath, hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? So their, their understanding is, okay, then what is it that we need to do? What are you telling us to do? What's your commands? Then? What's the commands of God that we need to keep? And Jesus said unto them, This is the work or the command of God that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. Okay, there's, we've now seen three places in Scripture that have said that the command of Christ is to what? Believe upon him. The Bible says that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, a thing is established. Right? And I, I, I put that forth to you. As you're studying scripture and everything, it's always good. If you see something and you're thinking, you know, I've never heard that. And this seems to be true and everything. Search the scripture. And if there's two or three other witnesses that bear record to what you're seeing there, then we have a little bit to rest upon. You know, we still could be wrong, Right? We still could be under a misunderstanding, but we surely know that if there's a multiple witness or testimony of something in Scripture, then we could probably bank on that it's probably true, right? And we've seen three places now that says that this is the commands of Christ, that we believe on Him. They said unto Him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Okay, so he's saying, well, well, what's the miracles? Well, <laughs> all right, dummies. Christ has already been doing a ton of miracles already. And you're not believing them, okay? Jesus, or He says, our fathers did eat manna in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they're saying, hey, look what God did in the Old Testament. What are you going to do for us? Then Jesus said to them, verily, verily, I say unto you, 
Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father gave you that true bread from heaven. See, you're wrong on two counts. Number one, it wasn't Moses who gave him the bread. It was God that gave him the bread. And second of all, that wasn't the true bread. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Okay? So what is the bread? The bread is Christ. Right? And not just Christ, but it is Christ and what he does, giving life unto the world. He's given me power over all flesh to give eternal life to as many as been given to me. Right? So... For the bread of God, the food of God, the sustenance of God to the child of grace is Christ. The one who has come down from heaven and by his work, by his obedience, by his death, by his resurrection, giveth life unto the world. And they said unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto him, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. Now, brethren, I'm not going to take a whole lot of time, but in chapter 6, if you'll look at chapter 6, Jesus uses the word come to me, and in, 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 uh, he uses it interchangeably with believe on me. Okay? He uses that on uh, believe on me. Matter of fact, I think that's over in the uh, uh, same chapter, verse... Uh, 64, but there are some of you that believe not. Therefore said unto you that no man can come unto me except to be given to him. Uh, my father, that's not the verse I was wanting. Uh, well, I, I don't want to get too far off track here. Uh, but you will see that Jesus uses the term come and believe interchangeably. So Jesus is saying here, he said, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me or believeth uh, on me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never... Oh, there it is, right there. He that cometh to me, he that believeth on me. He uses it interchangeably. But I said unto you, that ye also have seen me, and believeth not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And the Jews then murmured at him, because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? Jesus therefore and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh or believeth on me. Now see, brethren, they call us old school Baptists, they call us hard shells. Have you ever heard that term? Have you ever been called a hard shell? Yeah. 
hard shell. Now that term, hard shell, actually came from being called hard shells. The old Baptists believed in the hard shells. Whenever it said, all that the Father gives me shall come to me, they didn't think it was a maybe so. If you remember at that time, whenever they began to use these terms against us and everything, if you remember that time, that was whenever the Baptists were beginning to split and there was the new school and there was the old school. There was those ones who was running off and thinking that through uh, all kinds of uh, extra church activities that they were going to win the world to Christ. Uh, guys like, um, <clears throat> uh, well, his name's slipping my mind all of a sudden. Uh, but anyway, they were being drawn away from the belief that Christ was saving his people, was drawing his people, was causing his people to come, was gathering his uh, people into the churches. And they were thinking that through all these other endeavors that, you know, that they were going to be saving the world. And what we see is that uh, the Baptist said, you know, we believe that God said that all that the Father gave me shall come to me, that there isn't going to be anybody go to hell that Christ died for. So all these people out there that's not getting, you know, preached to because we're going through all of our, you know, human abilities to get to them, you know, if they die without Christ, it was because they were intended to do so. They were not the elect of God. So nobody gets to hell because somebody didn't get to them with the gospel. They got to hell because they were not chosen of God. Okay? And so that was a, a shall that we stood upon. The, the, that they shall come to him. Without man's inventions, without man's means... God is going to save his people. He's going to bring them to them experientially to him. They will believe upon him. Okay? But see, that's another thing that a lot of old school primitive Baptists, we get a lot of flack about, is they say, well, you believe you don't have to preach the gospel, and that you believe that somebody can be saved and not know it and ever come to Jesus and wind up in heaven. Well, there are some people that do teach that and believe that. If you scour the internet, you'll find out that the majority of what's called primitive Baptists, they hold to that, but that is not the original primitive Baptists. The original primitive Baptists believed what we're teaching right here, that they will come. Matter of fact, they will come in such a, a divine, mysterious, spiritual way, a, a miraculous way, that it doesn't require the means of men. To make it so, okay, that God can save His people. We see in the in the Bible, Lydia. Here was a woman who was worshiping God before she ever heard the gospel, and that God opened up her understanding whenever the gospel was preached to rightly put together what was being said to her. Cornelius was a man who who feared God and eschewed evil, and he was one who gave alms to God and was praying to God, and God was receiving and hearing those prayers. That's not something of, of a uh, of an unconverted man, of, of a man who's been not born again. Okay, no man fears God. The Bible says the only ones who fear God are those who have been born from above. And here Cornelius was doing all this, but still had not heard the gospel yet. So see, we believe that Christ will cause his people to come to him uh, without any means. And that doesn't mean that there's not importance in preaching. We do preach, and there's a reason for that. But brethren, that is not, you know, preaching is not what makes people born again. Okay? Um, 
Matter of fact, you have to be born again before you can even understand or receive what's being preached. Alright, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath... See that word hath there? That's past tense. Matter of fact, in the Greek, that is uh, that is a word that is a... It, it's, it, in our language, it's past tense, but in the Greek, it's a present, it's present perfect. It means it's something that happened in the past and is a continual ongoing thing. Okay? He says, He that believeth on me hath already everlasting life. Not he that believeth on me is going to get everlasting life. Okay? He already has everlasting life. He says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? See, they were still thinking physically and not spiritually. Okay? Now, if you think, the Catholics take this literally. In their in their communion, they believe that whenever they take that wafer of bread from the priest, and he puts that in your mouth, when you close your mouth, that actually turns into Christ's flesh. Real flesh. Not symbolic flesh. Real flesh. And that when you drink that wine, that it turns into the blood of Christ. Not symbolic. Real blood of Christ. And it's, and, uh, it's called um, uh, the Eucharist, is what they call that. And they believe that that is a means of grace, a transference of grace. And all they're doing is crucifying Christ over and over and over again in their Mass. Okay, that's what Mass is all about. It's, it's coming and crucifying Christ over and over again. Now, with that being said, the Protestants, who supposedly reformed themselves out of the Catholic Church, which really wasn't a Reformation, the Protestants came out, and they didn't do that, but they did something similar. They believed that whenever you take the bread and the wine, that it symbolically becomes the flesh and blood of Jesus when you take it, and that confers grace upon you, that it actually in, instills you with grace by taking that. Okay, That's not true either. The Lord's Supper is an ordinance. It's a memorial. There is nothing magical that is conferred in that that gives you more grace by taking it. Okay? It's a memorial so that you remember what Christ, to remind us of what Christ did for us. It's a preaching of the gospel visually. Just like baptism is, it doesn't take away our sins. Okay? Baptism doesn't make us born again. Baptism doesn't make us a new creature. It is symbolic. It is a it is a showing of the gospel in picture form. Okay? That's what it is. And so we see that these guys didn't understand it because they were thinking of it in natural terms and not spiritual terms. Jesus is talking in spiritual terms. My flesh is the bread from heaven. I give my flesh for you. What is everybody feeding on that is my people, that is my sheep, that I have coming, that I'm calling and they are coming to me. What are they feeding on? Are they feeding on religious things like these men are? Or are they feeding on what I have done for them? 
What are they feeding on? What is their sustenance? It's my broken body and shed blood. It's my work of righteousness. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. How? By the washing of regeneration. And I would challenge you to go study that verse. That washing of regeneration isn't being born again. That washing of regeneration is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, his death, burial, and his resurrection. That's what regeneration is speaking about. There's two places that uh, regeneration is spoken of in the scriptures. I have a sermon on this on Sermon Audio. You can go find it. I spent a couple weeks, I think, maybe on this. Regeneration is found two places in Scripture, and in both places it is referring to the work of Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. That is what is being talked about. Jesus has done that. His flesh, his blood is our sustenance. That's what we feed on. Why do we preach the gospel over and over again? Because that's what the child of grace wants to hear. That's what their souls and their spirit are fed upon. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whosoever eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. Hath, there that it already has. And I will raise him up at the last day. My flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. Now there's that word dwelleth there. Pay attention to that. Remember we used the word not too long ago, abide. Abideth in me. Okay, what is abiding? Abiding isn't working. Abiding is resting, right? Okay. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me. We're trusting in Christ. And if we trust in Christ, that's dwelling in Him. That's abiding in Him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. And this is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead, he that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying, and who can hear it? And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What, and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? Uh, By the way, the Son of Man was in heaven before he came to earth. So that's proof that Jesus was man, had humanity, had a manhood before he came by Mary. It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you, that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then Jesus said unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. We believe that thou art the Son, the Christ. Jesus answered him, Have I not chosen you, twelve, and one of you is the devil? 
spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. We'll stop right there. But you see that whole portion there is speaking about believing on Christ. Coming to Christ is believing on Christ. Believing on Christ is believing in his flesh and blood broken for you. Okay? Now, quickly, let's go back to 1 John. I'm I'm a little bit over uh, the normal. 1 John chapter 5. Look at verse 1. It says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is already born of God. The only ones that believe that Jesus is the Christ, the only ones who believe and, and receive what He has done on their behalf, they're the only ones that are born of God. And then the only reason they believe that is because they are born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begot, loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commands. What was his commands? His commands was to believe on Jesus and to love the brethren. By this know we that we love the children of God. How do we know that we're loving the children of God? Because we're keeping his commands. What was his commands? To love God, believe upon Christ, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Right? For this is the love of God, that we keep his commands, commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. Now, if we go back to the law, brethren, and we take, we take that to be obey his commandments as far as the Old Testament law is concerned, those are grievous. Because we can work all day long and we cannot keep them. So it cannot be talking about that. It's talking about something else. What's it talking about? The command that Christ has said. These commands are not grievous. Love God. And why is that not grievous? Because God has shed his love abroad in our hearts. God has given us, in us, the spirit of God that looks to Christ, that gives us faith to look to Christ and to love what he has done for us. And why do we love the brethren? Because the brethren are begotten of God. We love him who was begotten, Christ, right? Everyone that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. We love God because he begat Christ, and we love all those who are begotten of Christ. We are his generation. We are his seed. We are his children. Right? <coughs> Just as Christ is the child of God, is the son of God, right? We have been begotten of Christ. Not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Right? By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God, keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. It means it's, they're victorious, right? If you overcome the world, that means you've got victory. Well, matter of fact, it says it in the next verse. And this is the victory. So that overcoming the world is the same as victory. And victory is overcoming the world. And now he's going to tell us what is this victory. 
And this is the victory that overcometh the world. Our law keeping, our works, our determination, our religious zeal, being baptized, being added to the church. Is that what overcomes the world? Is that the victory? No. Even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? You want to overcome the world? And its lust thereof? Believe in the Son of God. It's belief. It's not law-keeping. Law-keeping doesn't keep you from breaking the law. Believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ does. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that bear witness, because the Spirit is truth. See, the Spirit's going to bear witness of that in our heart. Right now, if you're a child of grace, and the Spirit, by its sovereign power, is pleased to do so in giving you light today, as these verses are being read, you're saying, ah, that's truth. That's the truth. It can't be the law. The law can't be that. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree in one. Brethren, both those verses speak of Christ. Both those verses are talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. The witness of the Father, the witness of the Word, and the witness of the Holy Spirit all bear record of Christ. Matter of fact, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost all are in Christ. That's why it's one. See what it says there? And these three are one. The Father, Word, and Holy Spirit are one God, and that one God is in Christ Jesus. The Bible says that all the fullness of the Godhead dwelleth in Christ. He said, well, that's not talking about the Father and the Holy Spirit. It's just talking about the Word. And it's just talking about that He has all the divineness that the whole Godhead has. Brethren, the Bible says that the Father was in Christ Jesus. The Bible also says that the Spirit was in Christ Jesus without measure. And we know the Word was in Christ Jesus because the Word became flesh, right? All three of that triune oneness of God is in Christ Jesus. He is God manifested in the flesh. And there are three that bear witness in the earth, the spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree in one. So that says that all three are bearing record, and they agree in one in Christ Jesus. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which he hath testified of his son. Now here's the witness of God. Now the witness of men is going to be telling you something different. It just said there. The witness of men is going to tell you something different. But here's the witness of God. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. That means he has the Spirit. Has God in him. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. 
He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye might know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. There's that phrase again, believe on the name of the Son of God. These things are being written to confirm to us, to exhort us, to admonish us, to, to you can want to say challenge, it's not a challenge, to, to, to lift us up to look to Christ alone, brethren. That's our command is to believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He heareth us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we desired of Him. If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life from that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin. And there is a sin, not unto death. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God is come, and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even his Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God. Who's the true God? Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Now, why did he end it with that? Why did he say that? That doesn't even seem to go into anything he just said, does it? He's just like, well, what's my last verse going to be? Ah, keep yourself from idols. No, what is he saying? Why did he end, little children, keep yourself from idols? Because anything other than looking unto the Lord Jesus Christ is idolatry. If you're looking to yourself to keep yourself righteous, that's idolatry. If you're looking to the law, that's idolatry. If you're looking to some statue to, to make you, you know, saved or right with God, that's idolatry. The only thing that we are to look and put our hope in is Christ alone. That's keeping the commandment of God, of Christ. That is what we should be doing. And if we do so, that is not idolatry. Listen, <laughs> it's not idolatry to talk about Christ all the time, to look to Christ all the time, to hope in Christ all the time. That's not idolatry, right? But anything outside of that is. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. What I do. But wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Amen? Alright, brother. I'll stop right there for today.